Hello and welcome to Let the Bird Fly, a podcast about living freely in a world given back to us. I'm going to have an explanation here. Mike and I um, are meeting for special reasons now, and I'll be reading an explanation. We'll have some form of this at the beginning of the the um, the podcast that we make in this series. We here at Wisconsin Lutheran College are in the same boat as the rest of the country right now. Uh, we are, this is Monday... Tuesday. Uh, Tuesday. <laughs> Shoot. Tuesday. Uh, St. Patrick's Day. March 17th, St. Patrick's Day. We're hoping Day. that St. Patrick comes and drives out all the coronavirus from the United States. Yeah, and so we are under the same uh, limitations for meeting that the rest of the country now is. Uh, suggestions that you not meet with 10 or more. Uh, prohibitions on meeting with 50 or more. And that means the college extended its spring break one week, so we're in the second week of break. Uh, and the reason that happened is so we could plan, and we are going online with classes next week. Uh, Mike and I have various ways that we're approaching this. A lot of our colleagues have different ways they're approaching it as well, some very creative. Uh, I've already started making a number of YouTube videos. I think I've got about 10 now, Mike, Oh wow! on the the, um, the YouTube channel. And Peter figured out my my quote for the name of the, the YouTube channel. I was kind of impressed. Did you see that in Telegram? I did. It was very nice. It's a good name, isn't it? Yeah. So the the YouTube channel is, then now I will take my lunch, which is a, a quote from Epictetus. I'll let people figure it out for them themselves. But I'll have videos for my six classes up uh, on that channel. But sometimes better than a video, something that Mike and I were talking about, may be that the two of us sit down, help each other out with our classes, and be able to discuss things. Uh, this way you don't have to have the YouTube tab, uh, app open for students. Um, for the whole time you're working, you're able to uh, get this hopefully through the various uh, podcatchers, iTunes, um, Spotify, stuff like that. Peter and Ben are going to be kindly working with us to help us get that stuff going. And then we thought as well it might be beneficial to some listeners who are interested in some of the topics that we talk about at the college we're going to be, we're not doing this for everything we teach. There's some things that are just going to be more conducive to different formats. Um, YouTube, students uploading stuff to MyWLC and discussion forum, maybe using Zoom. I know for worship, Mike, you mentioned you'll have to do some videos just by the nature of the class. Um, <clears throat> I'm not going to drag Mike in here and make him go through, uh, you know, 16 chapters of a Kelvin biography with me. But there's some stuff where we have a fair amount of crossover in what we do. And we thought, too, the value of having a second voice or sometimes a third voice, if we bring one in, would be to, to somewhat give a little bit more uh, of something like the classroom experience. I don't normally straight lecture for 50 or 80 minutes, and I don't think you do either, Mike. Uh, there's time for students to discuss. There's questions that student ra students raise. There's some back and forth. <clears throat> and so when we're doing one of my classes, uh, it might be a lot of weight talking, but with Mike interjecting, um, with questions or sometimes the topics like today's topic, Mike's going to have a lot of input on. And just to keep it fresh, like this is a discussion, yeah, instead of one voice. Yeah, so um, we will at the beginning be saying what class we're doing this for and then referencing if it, if it goes along with any reading uh, for students. If you're listening and you're not a student, uh, you should still be able to get a fair amount out of it uh, because we're going to be summarizing the readings in, in many ways. Um, so... When this gets uploaded to what we're envisioning is there will be minimal show notes because we just have to be able to produce these things and get these things up. Uh, there's not going to be any music in these files. Uh, this is going to be just us. Uh, we'll be producing the files. So in other words, I'll be going in and 
making sure the sound is balanced and we normalize stuff and compress it. <clears throat> but it won't be what you're used to hearing. The winging it even has music, even that's a short, though that's a, a shorter thing. This is going to be just straight files to get us through this time. But there are also things that we hope might be helpful that next year, Lord willing, when we're not in this situation, students might still find these to be helpful resources as to supplement what's taking place in the physical classroom. So with that being said, uh, we Mike can is, skip that. We'll do that okay. one next time because you covered all the points. Okay. Um, and so what we're going to be discussing in this one, and we're going to try to keep these not too long. We definitely don't want to go over 50 minutes. That's how long a class period normally is, which reminds me, Mike, uh, we'll be really informal here. I won't even write a little note that I hold up for you. What are we at for time? We're at five minutes. Okay, I'm setting my, my clock here. And um, what we're going to be doing with this first lesson, and, and it works out well uh, to be doing this um, this way for the Altaus stuff because this is something that I think listeners can really follow along with as well as students. The book is laid out pretty well. So we're in the ethics of Martin Luther. I have done two YouTube videos on this so far if you're interested. Uh, I'll share those on the, the Facebook page for the podcast. But um, so far we've done justification as the presupposition for ethics which means that a, a Christian ethic or a Lutheran ethic, and some people are reticent to talk about it, uh, Luther having an ethic, but I think it's very helpful to consider. Uh, he says some things very specifically about ethics. Yes, and, and you find the more you look for it, the more you find it. Um, that, that justification is the presupposition for ethics means, unlike most ethical systems where you want to get to being good or the good life um, as an end goal, Christianity says God declares you not guilty, right? He makes you the good tree as the beginning, right? So you need to be born again. Uh, so this is not a, a teleological ethics in the sense of something I'm hoping to achieve. It's done in the light, in the light of Christ's achievement, which is made our own. Uh, the second chapter related to natural and revealed law. Luther largely sees the Decalogue as being natural law, um, but revealed law uh, kind of reawakening our realization of that as well as our our guilt and recognizing our need for a Savior. And then we're going to get to, uh, in this chapter, station and vocation. And the reason we kind of got started with these is when I saw this chapter, I thought, you know, I could make a video on this, but, but vocation's kind of Mike's baby. And this is one that um, I know listeners would be interested in. And I thought it's going to be a better discussion to have Mike here. And so maybe... Uh, and I might reference a couple page numbers in the Alt House, but largely this is these ethics lectures become, you know, big picture. But maybe, Mike, if I, for some of these, we said we were going to take the lead on our own, but I'd, I'd kind of like to defer uh, to start off. <clears throat> Any thoughts you have to orient people as they begin to think about uh, station or vocation? Our students have heard the word vocation a lot. Mm -hmm. Maybe they don't always understand it. Um, our listeners have probably heard it somewhat, but anything that you would set the stage with or that you normally use to set the stage with your students or with listeners uh, for station and vocation? Yeah, keeping it in the lungs with uh, uh, Althaus, uh, specifically uh, Martin Luther, <coughs> uses the word, and we'll just use the English here, station. Um, and when you think about a station, you think this is a person stands in this position. We're not talking about position like, oh, I have a higher position in society. In fact, that'll be blown up by, by Martin Luther. But when I stand somewhere, I always stand in reference to somebody else. And whether I know it or not, I stand in reference to God. And so if I stand as a father, I'm standing in reference to my neighbor. And in this situation, it would be 
my children. So these stations in life that God has set up, and this is kind of just almost, uh, this is just part of creation. Whether you're a Christian or not, you're standing somewhere in relation to somebody else. And just a side note, uh, I would argue, and Luther, I think, would would agree with this. Uh, In fact, I know he does, although he's a little bit, speaks in, in broad ways sometimes. But we might call that there are stations that are, false stations. So a firefighter is a station, even though at some period in time, maybe there weren't firefighters. Um, uh, A pharmacist is a station, but a loan shark is not a station, right? A prostitute is not a station. That is a disordering. A heroin. Yes. That's a disordering thing. So it's not like I'm, we're saying, hey, you know, you, you are a whatever, and that's my station in life. No, that would be a false station if it's something we may think of it illegal in the terms of going against uh, God's, God's law. Those stations become vocations or callings for the Christian. So technically, only a Christian is in the sense of in, in a vocation. Uh, and this, this is not a cut on uh, uh, an atheist lawyer. In fact, an atheist lawyer, lawyer would would not consider himself called by God, right? But it becomes different, and it becomes different in two ways. Number one is freedom in the gospel. So my ethical orientation as a Christian is no longer vertical from me to God. My time, my energy, my purpose is no longer trying to justify myself before God. And even if I'm, uh, I don't believe in God, um, my ethical orientation is not curved inward in the sense that I'm doing this for my own justification, my own value, my own standing in the world. My ethical orientation is now horizontal. So there's a ethical reorientation that occurs. I, I like to say it this way. When Luther figured out that he no longer was uh, in a system of righteousness by law, but righteousness by faith, that is Jesus did everything for him. Well, what's a monk going to do with all this time and his energy? It's reoriented in freedom towards love of neighbor. So then um, my, my standing is no longer a curved inward thing, trying to please God for my own salvation or to try to find value for myself by using other people, but rather it is standing towards neighbor and I'm called by God to serve my neighbor. And this has huge ethical um, ramifications. Uh, Number one, we tend to see our neighbors then as people. And I would go so far as to say we see them as Christ. When we serve them, we serve Christ. And even if I am helping old ladies across the street and doing all of this charitable work, if I'm doing it so that I can be holy before God, I've used them. And so I've taken a person and I've made them a thing because we don't use people, or at least we shouldn't, we use things. So when I look at the people that I meet in any given situation, I am always in a vocational and therefore an ethical, and I would say a loving, based on freedom, um, relationship. And I see that person as a person created in the image of God, 
still broken and have lost that image, uh, that perfect image of God, but it's somebody whom I am to serve as if I was serving Christ rather than a means to my end. I mean, just right there, just think about capitalism. I mean, this changes how we do business. And I don't see people as consumers or clients or customers, but I see them as people to serve and love. And that changes just about everything. And so that's kind of very basic uh, when, if you ask me the question, what is Luther's ethic when it comes to vocation? There's more to that that I, we will get to, but that's the very basics. No, and I think that's extremely helpful. And it's something that um, hopefully when we understand this, uh, it's something that it frees us uh, actually from a number of burdens of feeling like we have to strive to come up with something that's worthy of our calling by God, um, that we have to strive to come up with something that will make God love us, that we have to do a, you know, a truly Christian work. Um, and in, in this way, the uh, the church, you've pointed out, Mike, before, often gets busy with a lot of things that distract Christians from their actual vocations. I think something that might be actually helpful about what we're going through right now will be uh, that hopefully a number of people are kind of thrust back into some vocations that maybe they haven't been able to give as much time as they've wanted to give before. A lot of families are going to be in their houses together. Um, Parents will be involved in the instruction of their children, hopefully also the Christian instruction of their children. And so maybe it's a pause that that some will be uh, able to exercise those vocations without uh, less in a less harried fashion than they otherwise have. It also will show, I think, the importance of numerous vocations. Uh, at a time like this, um, there's a, a, a line that Altos has, if I can find it here in my notes, or that, that Altos po- points out from Luther. Uh, Luther basically argues that the preservation of the human race depends on these stations that God gives. And if you think about what we're going through now, um, I was struck on my way here going up 894. I saw more semis than I usually see, right? Um, think about the vocation of trucker at a time like this. People are worried about the stores being stocked, um, there being enough toilet paper or hand sanitizer. Well, how is that going to get there? Um, they are not uh, working from home. Think of the store stocker. Think of the store greeter. Think of the store cashier. The importance we see that these vocations play that maybe other times we don't stop and notice, um, but at times like this, they stand out. The healthcare worker that we maybe often take for granted, um, even just the receptionist uh, you know, at the doctor's office who's trying to make sure everything can run smoothly, and I don't mean even just as if that's not important. I mean, we, we go to the hospital, we're thinking of a doctor or a nurse we're going to see. I think this is a time for us to remember the importance of vocations and, and the vocations that we don't think about. Think about the people cleaning buildings right now, sanitizing things. Um, the the people who are doing food delivery. Uh, these are all important things. And uh, as we are at home teaching our kids, think about the vocation of teacher. Yep. Um, the Think about the vocation of those who serve lunch at schools. As we, we know, many people, get, uh, many children get their, their main meals at school. Uh, these stations are what God works through. And so God is working in our midst here, but he's, he's hidden behind the faces and the hands and the feet of these, these people. Uh, Mike, you mentioned the idea of, of stant and vocation or station and vocation. 
And the word in German is stand. It's it's mm -hmm. your stand where you stand. Um, the word for vocation then is uh, beruf, mm -hmm. um, or in Latin, right, vocatio. Mm -hmm. And the idea behind it is if, that you're calling someone. I usually tell my students, beruf even just sounds like that, right? Beruf mm -hmm. sounds like a dog barking. Beruf, 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 and. Uh, you can bang on the wall. I did a dog like I did a donkey the other day. And, um, uh, impression and distracted Mike. But, but the, the word implies, uh, you know, the difference there is everyone has a station. Even the unbeliever has a station. The Christian gets the joy of recognizing that. Yeah. The Christian gets the joy of realizing that God is working through him or her. And so they don't have to be on the cover of a glossy magazine for whatever their church body is. They don't have to go on every mission trip. They don't have to be on every possible board. They don't have to be outside of their home at church or volunteering somewhere every hour of the day. The relationships in which uh, God has placed them become crucial. And so Altau says on page 36, Through our station in life, we are placed into a definite and particular relationship to one another, and our duty to serve one another thereby takes on specific form. And at the end of the day, isn't that what most of us want, right? What is our purpose? What would God have us do? And so we think of uh, Ephesians chapter 2 in the verses we all know, uh, or most of us know, is 2, 8, and 9, right? It's for by grace we have been saved through faith, not by works. But verse 10, for we are God's workmanship. Uh, well, what are we God's workmanship for? To do good works which he has prepared in advance for us to do. We need not search high and low for them. God puts them right there, and, and he sees them not as mundane things, although we might be tempted to see them as such, but he sees them as critical things. Maybe this is the night you stayed up with your roommate um, and just listened, mm -hmm. um, and no one's ever even going to know you did that besides your roommate. Uh, maybe it was the, the time we knew that person who was going through a rough patch and, and we befriended them. Uh, Maybe it was simply getting up and, and going to your workouts for your sport you play. Maybe it was studying for that test, those of us who are older. Uh, maybe it was not uh, just getting in a car and driving as far away as my screaming kid, for my screaming kids <laughs> as I could. Um, it, uh, these things take on uh, critical, critical meaning. And I think it's also a reminder, and maybe you can elaborate on this, Mike, if you want, but... I think we easily get tempted to lose people um, in causes. Mm -hmm. And social media has only exacerbated this, and I think we've talked about it before, that we can think, oh, the way to be a good person is to back the right cause, to be for the right program, right? We want sweeping change. And there's a, there's a place for these discussions, right? There, it is the responsibility of government to have a kind of grand vision for doing things. Yet at the same time, at the end of the day, it's people that Christ has called us to love. Christ didn't come and, and begin any any foundation or cause. There was no hashtag. I guess you could say he began the church, but it's not a very good foundation. <laughs> um, this this um, vocation and station reminds us uh, that it's people we've been set free from ourselves to serve. And I, I like how you put that earlier, right? That that we've been we had to turn out of ourselves for righteousness from Christ. And now turned out of ourselves, we can now see our neighbor and serve our neighbor, not selfishly to get something out of them, not to use them as, a, as an end to a, me, a means to an end. And keep in mind, students, when we read Kant, right, Kant himself, 
who's not making a Christian argument himself is going to say you should never use people. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're set free to serve them just to serve them and, and love them. But I'll let you, Mike, any thoughts that come out from anything I hit on there? Oh, yeah, there's quite a few things. I, you know, I like the curved outward thing. I mean, this is, this is uh, uh, since it's your, your class, uh, Augustine. <laughs> Augustine talks curved inward, curved outward, I think. And Luther certainly did. When I'm curved inward, I, I look for my value, my justification. That's a dead end for, for anybody who's honest. Um, so when I'm curved outward, and God may curve you outward in a very painful way. Uh, but if you're curved outward and now you think of your shoulders back and your heads up, you see three things. You see your va- ultimate value, justification in Christ. You see your neighbor for the very first time. And you also see a world given back to you, right? And you start to enjoy that instead of just being trying to look into and turning gift into law and turning people into things that are used for your own justification, whether it be in a holy, quote unquote, holy way, um, I'm a good person because I helped the little lady across the street, or whether it be in a very um, debaucherous uh, uh, way where I literally use people for my gain, whether it be I, I'm gaining money from them or I abuse them sexually, I abuse them because I'm angry or, and I try to find some sort of uh, justification in that where I can blame other people, whatever it is, it's still using people as things. Um, and so I look at um, I look at uh, uh, vocation as a Christological endeavor. And so uh, when Jesus is uh, talking to the people uh, on Judgment Day and, and he says to the sheep, um, that is the believers, he says, you know, thank you for coming to visit me when I was in jail and clothing me when I was naked and feeding me when I was hungry. And the sheep say, what are you the lamb say, what are you talking about? We never did that for you. Well, whatever you did for the least of these brothers of mine, Jesus said you did for me. And so when I serve somebody else, I am literally serving Christ. And then vice versa, when someone serves me, I know that Christ has put them on as a mask and is using them in their station or specifically for Christians in their vocation. And so it's Christ to me and Christ to you huge ramifications for ethics, but also huge ramifications for my self-esteem. Uh, I, I would always use this example, and now it's coming, it's it's very, in, in this uh, coronavirus scare, it's very real. I would say, not everybody gets to be the senator from Wisconsin. And if everybody was going to be a senator or um, uh, in the House of Representatives or the, or the president or in the Supreme Court and nobody cleaned the bathrooms, then, uh, you know, disease would run rampant. Now we're starting to see, oh, I really appreciate the truck driver. I really appreciate the teacher. I really appreciate Jenner or whatever those. Well, God always did, (laughs) you know, and it it wasn't, this is not some kind of, oh, like God looks into the heart and he sees uh, that, uh, you know, this person is better than that. That's not what we're talking about. I mean, he, he is stating the obvious, like. Somebody needs to change the diapers. Somebody needs to be, be doing daycare. Somebody needs to be doing these things, you idiots, right? Not everybody gets to be. So what he does then is he lifts up. Somebody to a, has to be the person who stands in the aisle and tells grown adults they don't need 2,000 <laughs> rolls of toilet paper. Right. And, and <laughs> so what he does is he lifts everybody up. Not just to be equal. This is more than equality. This is, this is more than equality like everybody's the same. What he is saying is I lift you even beyond that because this is divine work. Because I'm using you to take care of the world. And 
So then for the individual person and their self-esteem, instead of looking at a paycheck, instead of looking at whatever reward, a promotion or whatever, which is always going to be a dead end because we're going to want more because we were created for something better than just mere adulation. Part of the sadness of getting older, Mike, we remember we thought we'd graduate college, we'd be happy, we'd graduate seminary, we'd be happy, we'd married and then we'd be content, we'd have a kid, then we'd be content, then we'd have another kid and then we go back to school thinking then I'll do it and you're still not content. <laughs> buy another house and you're not content. And, and then you realize, hopefully with this, uh, all those things you've been taking for granted are actually gifts of God and, and then you, you start to enjoy them. Yeah. And, uh, but sometimes you, you, you missed out on some good times. And I, I was trying to drill that into students, like, don't be like us. Right, like, right. And, and unfortunately, because of our opinion, legacy, because of our desire for the law, justification by law, righteousness by law, you just got to learn those lessons the hard way sometimes. And we live in a society that uh, only reinforces it because it's obsessed with putting values on things, yep. um, especially a salary. But maybe you can talk to that a bit, too. Um, that's something that as we live in the capitalist West, and, and Mike and I are not knocking capitalism. I enjoy capitalism. I'm using lots of products of right. capitalism to teach online. But uh, a lot of students, they come to college and, and – Sometimes you'll even hear college market themselves. Colleges market themselves, and they'll say stuff like, "The point of college is to get a job, and the point of getting mm-hmm. a job is to get a good salary." Mm-hmm. Um, and you'll have people who students who are coming in and they're freshmen and they're thinking about their majors, things they that will set them on a career they might do for their entire lives, mm-hmm. and they'll go online and they'll well, what's the salaries? Yeah. And um, and I have friends or who, what will make me happy and fulfilled? Right. Yeah. Well, because they think the salary will do that. Yeah. And I have uh, good friends who are, are very successful in that way. Uh, and there's there's some that I talk to, and their enjoyment of that is supposed to be down the road, yeah. right? They're working like crazy now, and then maybe, and it. Um, but we we sometimes assume well that's the route to to happiness. Maybe if you want to hit a little bit on how we assign value to vocations or stations. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's really kind of the funny thing about happiness, and I would define that more than just a, a, a personal feeling, but fulfillment, the good life, um, you know, flir- human flourishing, Peace, right? Yeah. As the scripture uh, speak. The wholeness, shalom, all of those kinds of things. The problem with, if, if it's just a personal feeling, we tend to look back upon happiness or forward to happiness. I, I want to <laughs> say it was Mill who said something like, you never, you're never quite happy in the moment or you don't know it. If you're happy, you're not asking yourself if you're happy. If I ask you you're happy right now, you're like, okay. But then you start thinking about all the troubles in the world in your life and, and you're like, well, maybe I'm not. So happiness has to be more than more than just a, a feeling. It's got to be something bigger. And I would suggest that purpose is a big part of that. And vocation uniquely answers. I just was writing this for something else that uniquely answers that question. What is a good life? What is flourishing? In, in, um, because you're given something that's more important. Not everybody gets to play shortstop for the New York Yankees. So do I, I need to find fulfillment in, in my regular day, ordinary life and what God, not everyone gets to bang the drum for the Astros. (laughs) Yeah. Um, you're going to, you're going to, you are made for something great and you know it. And you are not going to find that fulfillment by being, um, a low level accountant at a big, at a big, uh, um, company. If you're that's not, not where your g- gifts lie. You're yeah. not going to find that. 
even if you're the CEO making a gazillion dollars. Trust me on this. And so what God does in vocation says, even if nobody else knows it, you are just as important as the CEO of the Fortune 500 company. And what, what, what one of the greatest gifts then that God can give us, that purpose, is that we are allowed to lose ourselves into our job. It's a good day when you look at the clock and it says 10 a.m. and you don't say, oh man, I thought it was lunch already. Instead of saying, oh, I had so much to do today. Because you get lost in the purpose and the meaning and the, and the wonderful things of your job. That does not mean that every day is going to be this no, fantastic. Sometimes you Absolutely across, sometimes not. In fact, that's the whole point. If you're going to be uh, suffering with Christ and he's going to be a core work, a coworker with you, you should expect that kind of thing. But the grand purpose God gives us in vocation is more than just he makes everybody equal, which is just fine. He lifts you to a startling degree, as Gene Veith says, because you are his co-worker in the world. And he knows that. He knows the value of the truck driver. He knows the value of the accountant. He also knows the value of the senator and the entertainer and all those kinds of things, all those other vocations. And so <clears throat> we have virtue, not for the sake of virtue, as we like to say, but for somebody else, for a grander purpose that has huge ramifications for ethics, but as human ramifications for your own personal self-esteem as one of our favorite professors daniel deutschlander said multiple times god chooses to need you so that you're not a waste of space yeah the the greatest gift that god gives us is and sometimes purpose. that came across as like a compliment but also a put down right which is it's true <laughs> yeah right it's both i mean it's, it was a like when he said it to me after i'd not necessarily been the best student <laughs> um I mean, it has just such huge ramifications for your day-to-day -day life. The, one of the greatest gifts that God has given us outside of, you know, life itself and, and grace in Jesus Christ is a reason to get up in the morning. I mean, if you don't have a reason to get up in the morning, whether you're super rich and, and slothful that way or you're, you are slothful and living in poverty, uh, it's both this, it's both, those both are curses and really comes from the sinful nature is a reason why sloth was described as one of the seven deadly sins, right? So uh, losing yourself in the craft of your job, whether it's being an accountant, a janitor, or a, a woodworker or an artist, man, it matters. I, I like to say this, like y you can lose yourself in the craft of cleaning as, as, a, as a parent in the vocation of a parent, cleaning your bathroom, right? And, and nobody's going to appreciate it and the kids are going to destroy it in five minutes. But you can take the proper amount of pride in that and it only comes because you know that God is using you in that. Can, can I bring up one thing? Yeah, that, just that, that idea ahead. of losing yourself in something. Uh, something I often like to say is, look, if you had one shot or one opportunity to seize everything you ever wanted in one moment, would you capture it or just let it slip? Right, because you got to lose yourself. You know what I'm doing here. <laughs> I I can't remember what it's Eminem. What song that was? Yes. Yeah. So Eminem. You better lose yourself yeah. in the music, yeah. the moment. You, know, you I, own it. Better never let it go. White rappers. You only get one shot. Do not miss your chance to blow. This opportunity comes once in a life. I'm a pretty good rapper. White I'm like, white rappers from Detroit <laughs> have a lot to say about vocation. Yeah. yeah. This is I found this out. Let me get serious for a second. Uh, Luther had this idea about. The ethical agent is the vocation rather than the person. 
And what he meant by that was, and it's kind of interesting when you think about it, he says, it's always wrong to kill. And he doesn't just say murder there. He says, kill. It's always wrong to lust, even for a man, for his wife. But in the vocation of execution, he uses this example, not only is it permissible to kill, but it would be, it's commanded to kill. Think about soldier as well. Not only is it um, permissible to lust after your wife, using that term correctly, but it's part of your vocation to please your wife in that way and uh, to procreate and all those kinds of things. So it's kind of interesting when he says vocation is the ethical age. He doesn't use those exact words, although Gustav Wingren does. The vocation is the ethical agent. Now, this, this has a couple ramifications. One is, uh, think the soldier. Is it proper or right to, to, to kill? It's, and, and you can see people going, uh, being torn by that. You know, and the guilt of having killed. And and he just goes to the one extreme. Absolutely it's wrong to kill in every situation. But in your vocation before the fall in the Senate never would happen. Yeah. But in your vocation as a soldier, not only is it right, it's your duty to do in that. In a just war. Yeah. In a just war. And you know, just war is a whole, whole different topic. But uh, maybe to make it easier, is it is it wrong to kill an animal? I think Luther would say absolutely for sure. But in the vocation of uh, specifically a hunter for, you know, game and, uh, you know, a, a butcher, then it would be not only right, but it is it would be wrong not to. So it's kind of interesting ethics. I don't think it's a full-blown ethical, like, like I, I apply this to every single situation. It's not going to, it doesn't solve the problem of, you know, the question of just war and, and other things in a, in a fallen world. But it's kind of a unique way of thinking about some of those, some of those uh, tricky ethical questions. Yeah. Yeah. Um, maybe just two quick things and, and we'll wrap up. <clears throat> First, um, we hit on this somewhat, but just to make sure we drive this home, you have multiple stations and vocations mm-hmm. in life. <clears throat> this is not a, a one vocation thing you find. And I just say that because sometimes people will associate vocation then with their career or their job. Um, you are, even right now, those of you who are listening to our students, you are student, you are perhaps sibling, you are son or daughter, you are friend, you are roommate, you are perhaps teammate, <clears throat> you are classmate. You are employee if you are working somewhere. You are citizen. Uh, this is something we have numerous vocations and stations in life. And and so it's a balancing act, too. Um, when Mike and I were in the parish, we had to, or I don't know if this is for students. Are we supposed to be saying Dr. Berg and Dr. Johnson? I, let's say Mike and Wade, huh? <laughs> That's fine. But they should call us Dr. Berg and Dr. Johnson. Well, the, the most We reverend. can't have chaos. The most reverend doctor. Isn't that Anglican or something? Yeah, well, might as well. So... Technically, I am uh, the most reverend uh, Dr. Michael Berg, and you're the sort of reverend Dr. Wade Johnson. How about the sorted? The sorted. The, the kind of reverend. <laughs> yeah. Um, but these, so you, like when, we, when Mike and I were in the parish, we had to balance pastor with father. And sometimes we and would husband. say, I, I, I can remember this phrase between pastors, like, I'm going to be father today. Yeah. Like, I, I, I'm not going to be able to do that. I'm going to be father today. And we did not mean that as in, oh, I'm going to go home. We meant in a vocational sense. I'm going to be father today. Yeah. And and uh, and that was a good thing. And you know, we were t- speaking vocationally even if we didn't understand it. And then uh, secondly, uh, 
you're talking a lot on this. I like you're teaching my class for me. This is good. <laughs> but I, I'm going to toss it to you because you, you, this is something you've worked on a lot. We live in a society where vocation is probably as fluid as it's ever been in history, mm-hmm. right? Um, even when we think of our university system, college is expensive, and it's expensive because it's not state-run, right? Uh, well, in public universities are somewhat state-run, but what I'm getting at is in many places in Europe, people say, well, we want to model that for college or university. Well, you're on a college track very early then, mm-hmm. you know, and maybe as early as middle school. This is kind of true in Canada too. Right, yeah. or you're on a vocational track. Um, here, you can decide, let's say you didn't do well in high school, you go work for a while. A few years later, you can still end up at a college. Uh, or you can go into skilled trades after high school and decide skilled trades. Once the electrician isn't for you, but go and do pipe fitting. Um, in many ways, we have very fluid vocations. Is it wrong, Mike? Are you neglecting your vocation or your station if you are in one, but then decide to seek another? Yeah, two things there. Luther has been falsely accused, I think, of saying people are supposed to remain in their vocation. By that, they took remain in their their caste system, right? Like if you're called to be a farmer, well, God called me to be a farmer. That means... I, it would be wrong to for me to go to university or something like that. Luther himself comes from a peasant background. Yeah, and so he's 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 and Luther does like all criticisms of Luther. You can go like, yeah, you know, Luther maybe should have been clearer at that. And he's talking about First Corinthians seven twenty, where Saint Paul said, you know, now that you're a Christian, stay in your vocations. He didn't use that term. And what what Saint Paul was was worried about was a. Uh, a wrong kind of eschatological thing like well you just don't do your job anymore because jesus is coming or he meant like now that you're a christian does not mean that all of a sudden you're going to rise through the ranks of society he says just stay what you're doing and and for paul like the end of the world's coming pretty soon he thinks i mean i don't think he sees a whole lot of value of like this is going to be a whole new life life change so luther has been falsely accused of saying people are supposed to stay in their caste that accusation, of course, says more about the person accusing them, seeing their things in, in the view of class warfare. And also, though, does display a little bit of historical misunderstanding. Sure. Um, Luther's day was completely different. Luther couldn't imagine speaking to our situation mm-hmm. today. Um, and so, and sometimes we expect him to speak clearly to our situation. He couldn't imagine a uh, capitalist to the extent we are— um, developed first world mm-hmm. um you know socially mobile society mm-hmm. that we have today it just he he speaks in general principles but sometimes we read back and we say he's not saying what we would say now huh. well how could he right. uh, democracy was just not on the radar sure sure and and yet you know by him by vocationally changing the way people looked at the order of society instead of clergy nobility commoner seeing things in the terms of neighbor relationships which are neighbor relations to the civic realm to the church realm to the family realm and then you know to to the economy although the family and economy would have been tied together uh he did kind of change uh things probably towards more uh what we have as a uh middle class where oh, people are going to move his education reform. yeah so um you absolutely have this ability to do that so there's two sides to this I believe that there's... Not every vocation, right? The mother or father yep. doesn't leave their yep. children. Yep. But, but some vocations are yep. going to be more fluid. So one, one 
question to ask you is who's in front of you? What is your vocation right now? So you may be a PhD, um, you have me a PhD in and philosopher history. Oh, or history, and, yeah. and you're working at Burger King. Well, you be the best burger flipper well, you are. I don't want right to be a PhD you know? in history. No. Um, you know, uh, it's right in front of you. I have no doubt that there's plenty of Nigerian subsistence farmers who would have been great engineers. That's a tragedy. That's because of sin. And any way we can work towards a better, more equitable economy and system where those people can use their talents, that's great. But that does not diminish that man. Yep. He is absolutely doing God's work, and it's fantastic and it's just as important as anything anything else. Here's, here's a broader question, though. Um, when we talk about vocation, we, we're always talking about the neighbor and not the, and not the self, and rightfully so. And so you can imagine some, uh, let's just say a stay-at-home mother who wants to go back to, back to work or go to university or whatever, and she says, well, this doctrine of vocation means that I got to be a mom or a dad. I got to be a mom here, and I'm not allowed to do that, and I would be sinning against God. Whoa, 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 whoa. Think about it this way. You are in a neighbor relationship in this situation to your, to your son and daughter. You have an obligation. You cannot run away from that. It would be wrong to sin against that vocation. Mike tells me that like once a week. I get mad at the kids. <laughs> but you are also the object of love in a countless other vocations. In fact, it's kind of, it's kind of like, it's not a zero sum game. It's not like I serve this many people in vocations and then that's somewhat equal to the people who serve me in love. No, the people who serve you in love is going to be so much more than what you give out. It's not, there's not. Even if you're sitting in your home feeling lonely, the fact that you drive on roads that someone else built and you have running yeah. water, thanks to plumbers and engineers, and you have heat in your house, and you have toilet paper, Lord willing, and food that's been brought by farmers through truckers. It's and, countless. Yeah, yeah. It's countless. So can the people around that woman love her enough to give her the opportunity to go to university? A husband who can stay at home more. Grandparents who can maybe help out drive the kids around. The children themselves. Those are acts of love in their vocation towards the mother, to the wife, to the whoever. Um, and, and so that person should not feel guilty. In fact, should see that as a gift, the opportunity to do something else. So it's never, this is, for every vocation I have, there are a million other vocations working for my love. Those are opportunities or gifts. And I should not feel guilty at all by saying, you know what, today I'm, I'm not going to uh, stay at home with the kids. I'm going to do this. Um, nor should I feel guilty about saying, you know what, that thing at my job is going to have to wait because right now, my kids need me. So this is important. Or that I am going to be a stay-at-home mother yeah. or father, yeah. and uh, that will be uh, perhaps a financial hit, but it's something, I, a commitment I think is important. The, the freedom runs both ways. Yeah. And so the question is, who needs the love the most in that given situation? And so this is why I kind of roll my eyes when someone says, oh, we want to work for life balance. Well, first of all, good luck with that. Second of all, that's not how love works. Love says, who needs me the most? And um, it may be, it may be the... And if you have multiple children, you know that. It's yeah. the sick kid at the moment, yeah. or it's the kid who's struggling in this class. Or... It may be the parent in the, in the nursing home, and that means I am not able to maybe... I, I didn't have to... I didn't, wasn't able to work as hard as my job, and I lost that promotion. That's fine. But you should not feel guilty about saying, my job needs me right now. 
you know, and it's very good for and our this parents. this is the freedom of the gospel, that justification yeah. is the presupposition of ethics. You do that in, in grace. Yeah, you do that knowing that your value is going to be okay. And here's another thing, that God tends to pick up the slack through other vocations when, when we have to let one uh, in this imperfect world go perhaps unfulfilled with our best efforts. Um, uh, you know, not to drag this on too long, but when I, I look at, I kind of think of a Venn diagram when uh, the classic example would be mother and, and son, but there's also grandma who loves that son. They both share a neighbor and those two influences are like circles and they overlap, both get birthday presents to the son or the grandson. And there are certain things that the grandmother must say, I'm not mother. Even if she wants to step in, she has to trust that God is going to do that vocation that's going to serve that boy through the vocation of mother, even if the mother screws it up once in a while. But there are times when the mother, let's say, passes away, um, is an addict, or maybe just has to work extra hard or whatever, or whatever it is, where the grandmother sphere of love and influence grows. I mean, this is the inter connectability of these vocations is is kind of i hate to use this word but a safety net in certain circumstances there may be the case where other vocations step up and it's kind of a beautiful thing and it does give us a sense of peace like okay it's going to be all right it's going to be all right god does have this covered so yeah and we're at about time the uh We'd be getting a, in class where you students would be kind of starting to pack up your bags and send a signal getting, to me. Getting a little bit uh, restless. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So we will uh, wrap up this discussion of vocation. I will be working on getting these produced. And then hopefully uh, Ben and Peter are going to help us learn how to upload these ourselves. This is the tech side. Uh, anything that gets done besides talking, we owe to Peter and Ben, especially to Peter. And uh, so we're going to get to learn how to do some of that. But... Uh, Hopefully these, these audio lectures in addition to the video lectures will be helpful um, for our students. And if listeners are listening in and they find them helpful, um, we appreciate that too. And feel free to, to let us know. It'll be an encouragement for us to get them out in a public way rather than just individually <coughs> Excuse me, to our students. But in the meanwhile, students, some of you are not used to hearing this. And uh, listeners, you're used to hearing this at the end. When it comes down to it, Mike, and we have various vocations and stations, and um, we're asking how we can work for God and, and he can work through us, what at the end of the day is all we can do? Let the bird fly. <laughs>